Welcome, everyone, to It's a Wrap with Rap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. This podcast features people who have overcome life's challenges and adversities, people who can inspire and motivate, and people who can educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is James Burns, who is an anti-bullying specialist. Since 1977, Jim has been working with students who have learning disabilities and behavioral problems. He has almost 40 years experience working as an administrator, teacher, college instructor, and a seminar leader. He is committed to helping administrators, parents, and teachers establish standards of excellence and to help them build successful relationships with their staff, students, and children. He has written and designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that is offered at the College of New Jersey and LaSalle University in Pennsylvania in partnership with the Regional Training Center and is endorsed by the New Jersey Education Association. Jim was awarded the degree of Doctor of Humane Letters of recognition of his work in the area of anti-bullying. He has also written several books on the topic of anti-bullying and classroom climate. His book, Anti-Bullying 101, is a great resource for teachers, administrators, support staff, and parents as it provides permanent help in dealing with unruly behavior and can be used as part of any anti-bullying program. Welcome, Jim, to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Ron. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Honor. Let's start out. I want to ask you, uh, Jim, what inspired you to go into the education field? Uh, If you want the the true answer, uh, I was raised over a bar. and my, uh, my mom and dad ran the bar, and uh, both of them being self-employed, and they we're going back 60, 70 years now, um, they were more into hiding money in a mattress than paying into Social Security or any of the other things, and they had no health benefits. So in our house, you never got sick, or if you were sick, they would tell you that you weren't. <laughs> uh, so consequently, uh, there were two things that I wanted, truthfully, from um, over the course of my life. And th- that was, number one, I wanted health benefits. And number two, I wanted uh, to have make sure that when I retired, I had Social Security. And I, I discovered that when I was about 20. Those were two things I wanted because I never very, had them in my Very good life. things to want. So, yeah, so I went in, I went to college and I uh, had no idea what I wanted to do. Matter of fact, I was almost thrown out my freshman year because I really didn't quite get college life. And um, I was still working for my father in the bar and I figured I was going to take over the bar. He wanted me to go to college. He came to me and he he said to me, uh, uh, I told him, I said, take a look at these grades. I says, I'm never going to make it. And he says, well, you're going to have to make it because I'm selling the bar. I can't do it anymore. When I found that out, the one thing that motivated me was fear because I didn't want to be left not knowing what to do. Yeah. And I started talking to a few people, talked to a few professors on, on the campus and uh, they, um, they inspire, and I happened to like one or two professors, and I, I got inspired over the years. And by the time I was a junior in college, I was pretty well convinced I wanted to be a teacher. Um, so I went into teaching, and I became a special ed teacher in 1977. 
goes a lot goes back a long way. What what sparked your interest in the subject of bullying? Well, I think experience does that. Uh, you know, living in a, um, a very tough town uh, where you wanted to play outside, and there were bullies all over the place. Uh, and I got bullied. Other kids got bullied. And it wasn't until I was about 30 where I started to wonder, why am I the way I am? Number one, I had I, I did have some fears. I didn't have the confidence that I would like. Um, I certainly didn't know how to have productive conflict or confrontations. And I think that's part of the problem today is kids don't understand productive conflict. So they kind of go along to get along. They don't know how to have a confrontation with somebody. And sometimes you have to have those to draw your boundaries. I mean, even with little kids, one of the things that I teach them is just to say, stop, knock it off. Yeah. Someone yeah. bullying you. So I went through a period where I, I started to realize that, uh, you know, and, uh, and I did dwell on some of the kids that bullied me as a kid. I did. I did think about it. And I said, you know, this is it. I mean, this is probably part of my issue anyway. Uh, and I started to do more and more research into bullying. Um, I started to work with kids who were in school who were bullied. Uh, I became an administrator, uh, and I had to overcome the fear of being yelled at because administrators, nobody knows it, but they always get yelled at, either by a parent, a teacher, yeah. or a kid. Somebody's yelling at them. Right. And I had to overcome that fear. Uh, and I just, it's basically a lifelong challenge and a lifelong battle, and it's something that I, you know, my friend is a um, Civil War expert. Uh -huh. uh, he's written books on the Civil War. And when, when they have nice events and everything, they call him. And he goes and he gives a little talk, you know, and he has Civil War regalia and memorabilia and so on. And I was telling my wife the other day, I said, I only get called when somebody gets killed, somebody gets hazed, somebody gets bullied, something goes wrong. That's when they call me. <laughs> So I well, thank, thank God they got somebody to call. Yeah, right. Right. That's exactly right. And, and so I said, you know, so there you go. You're either going to get called to go and have some fun or you're going to get there or to give a, a talk on a topic related to the Civil War. Or you're going to get called because somebody just shot up a school. So yeah. I get called for the latter. Jim, can you describe to us the state of bullying in the schools as of today? Well, I think that it, um, in New Jersey, we have the Anti-Bullying Bill of Rights. This, and this came about after, and as a matter of fact, the Bullyproof Classroom was written in response to the Tyler Clemente suicide. That was the young lad from Rutgers who was videotaped by another student in his dorm room with, with a man. Oh, yeah. Um, Remember and he, he became so uh, despondent, uh, embarrassed. He didn't know how to deal with his parents and everything. And he jumped off the George Washington Bridge. Um, and so they started what was the Anti-Bullying Bill of Rights. 
where every school has to report and they have to do things, you know, that uh, where uh, bullies have to have a hearing, you know, and so on. Um, the problem that you have with it is I'm not convinced that we discipline bullies uh, to the extent that we're going to stop them from doing what they're doing. Okay. I'm not sure that that's happening. See, an intervention is only an intervention if, in fact, the behavior stops. Right. If I go to my teacher and tell, tell the teacher that I'm being bullied and the behavior continues, then the intervention didn't work. Right. Whatever the teacher did, whether she or he said, I was going to have a good talk with the kid, I'm going to call the kid's mother, whatever. And so the victims are the ones who are left to try and fend for themselves. And in public school, and probably private schools and in our culture in, uh, in general, uh, we have victims who don't have the confidence, courage, they don't have their resiliency, they're not taught, you know, that you only have to be courageous for two minutes at a time. And my, my whole approach to this is you do not, where you have no victims, you have no bullies. Right. So if there's kids that are not being victimized, then the bullies are losing. But if all we do is discipline the bully, and by the way, a discipline is only as good as in terms of whether or not it stops the behavior or not. Right. That's that's, that's it. I mean, if it doesn't yeah. stop the behavior, you know, what good is it? And I'm, I'm a big believer in very large scale consequences for bullies. And you have to figure out what they, what the greatest loss is for them, because life is based on gain and loss. What am I going to gain? What am I going to lose? Right, right. Great enough, the behavior is going to continue. So I think we have to spend more time. We have more kids right now who are mentally ill more kids with trauma, more kids right now who are depressed, suicidal, have anxiety in schools today. And there's a percentage of those kids who were bullied. And if we're not doing something for them, we're not doing our job to try and, and stop the bullying because th those are the kids that are suffering. A bully is going to forget what he did in 10 minutes. Right. But bullying is behavior for a victim that they'll never forget. That's true. What, what, what are some of the causes, in your opinion, of why bullying is so prevalent in our schools? Well, it, it's domination, uh, Ron. I mean, there, you know, people want to people want to dominate. And this is I'm sorry you're hearing this. This is I should have shut this off, but I apologize. Oh, no problem. Uh, the, um, uh, the it's based on domination and manipulation. Bullies dominate uh, kids that they know they can who they, they can get away with it. Yeah, they'll dominate those kids, and bullies will always bully those that are different and those that are weak. Those are the two reasons that bullying takes place. Now, as as an example, many years ago, I had uh, my daughter who was about four at the time maybe five, we were at my sister's house 
and we were having, I don't know if it was Thanksgiving dinner or if it, maybe it was Christmas dinner. And my daughter, you know, sitting on a chair with six adults around the table when it was kind of in between main course and dessert, you know, one of those things where people yeah. are sitting, smoking and drinking coffee the whole time. And my daughter's sitting there on her legs and she's sitting up and she's got six adults playing the rhyming game. This is a kid that's six, you know, four years old, five years old. And my oldest sister leaned over to me and she said to me, she's controlling the whole table. You see, and if behavior, and she was right, if behavior like that isn't stopped at a young age, it's really easy to give in to a whining child. Yeah. Little kid, you know, two or three years old, because you want him to stop. Right. Bottom line is, if you give in to him and he knows that you, you give in to him, he'll know the way that he can get what, get what he'll know, just the, the correct approach to get what he wants when he wants it. And he'll believe that he can do anything he wants when he wants to do it as well. And that includes bullying and intimidating. And he will learn how to manipulate. They'll learn how to lie. They'll learn how to do a lot of things. But it's based on domination and manipulation. Jim, what areas of the school campus does bullying take place the most? Most, and I'll, I'll use this as a broad term, in the unsupervised areas. Okay. You know, and that could be the hallway at the high school when kids are going in between classes. It could be in a bathroom. It could be in the back of a classroom where the teacher's in the front of the room. And, and, and I will say this, and I've talked about this many times, kids... We don't have it anymore because of the fact that now we don't have it right now because of COVID. But kids for years are were um, in school were always sitting in these little pods, right? Cooperative groups. So it would be like me, you, somebody else, four people sitting in a cooperative group. Well, we don't know what goes on in those groups. We don't know if bullying's going on right there. We have no idea because we're not going around the room to every group all the time. Right. And there may be things that are said in those groups. You see, that stuff didn't happen years ago because we sat in rows. Yeah. But the minute you start to crowd kids together and kids start talking and kids become vulnerable, they become vulnerable. They think they have a friend. They become vulnerable. They share information that now this kid has, that another kid has who could be a potential bully. And because of the, the vulnerability, they start using the information against them. And that happens because there's a lot of talking in those groups and kids say things and they do silly things and then they start getting picked on and the teacher doesn't know what to do with it. Then they start calling parents, they call the parents, the kid gets bullied worse because that intervention didn't work because right. the kid's not even, the kid's not listening to his parent either. Yeah. What, what programs are being taught to teachers and administrators to thwart this epidemic of bullying? What, what programs are being taught? Well, in New Jersey, we, we have the anti-bullying bill of rights. And I think that uh, once again, Ron, programs are only good if they work right see we had character edge remember character character ed that was the big thing we had to teach character education in schools 
Character education is only good if the kid that gets the certificate really displayed the character quality um, of kindness. Yeah. You get 30 kids in a classroom, 30 kids in a classroom. Okay. Every one of them has got to get something. So they all got to get a certificate before the end of the year. So you're going to, you're going to try and find something that this kid did, you know, he'll get the neatness award because he picked up a scrap of paper. My (laughs) question, my question to the teacher was, did you ask him to pick it up? Because half of the time when you, when you, you know, like a kid will go over, I'll say to a, and I remember in a high school, I said to a kid, pick up that piece of paper over there. I'll never forget it. The teacher said to me, boy, that kid listened to you really well. He picked up that paper, you know. And so I said, you think he would have picked that paper up if I didn't ask him to do it? Yeah. You know, there's no initiative, you know. So you have character ed programs that are supposed to be something that's supposed to work. But again, they only work if, in fact, the reward for what you're doing okay, is, is, is very, very individualized and not everybody's getting it. It's, it goes back to the, to the idea of everyone gets the trophy. So yeah. we know that story. Then, then you have, in New Jersey, you have the Anti-Bullying Bill of Rights. We have October is Anti-Bullying Month. Well, you know, I, I've talked to administrators, I've talked to the state and I've told them, you only have to forget character qualities, forget anti-bullying month. I said, you only have to work on three behaviors all year long and stick with these three behaviors all year long and work and discipline kids for not exhibiting them and use your head in terms of consequences and you will stop bullying in its tracks. And the three behaviors are respect, which, is, which means you have a, a high regard for the rights of another person. Right. Responsibility, meaning you're going to take responsibility for your thoughts, words, actions, attitudes, and motives. That's, you're responsible for those things. Okay. And the and last one, and people get on me about this, but it's compliance. Everyone has to comply with somebody or something. And I used to use the word obedience. And teachers got on me because they thought it was like dog training. So I said, all right, we'll use compliance. But it's the same. Compliance is doing what you're told, when you're told to do it with a good attitude. And if we just stuck with that, we would do good. Uh, How much of the bullying problem, in your opinion, do you think is, is fueled due to cultural shifts, violence, seen on TV, movies, video games, that kind of thing? Well, the, I think one of the statistics that was in the course, and of course, it, the course is, is 10 years old right now, um, like one of the, 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 uh, the, the games that is the, one of the highest selling games back then was Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. There was a lot of shooting and killing of people. Uh, Supposedly, before a kid gets to school, he, he's witnessed on TV 8,000 murders on TV. That's another very stark statistic. There's a, that's a very like, large statistic. I think that um, the, we, when you look at a, a television program, and most programs are set up you know, by today's standards where you have villain and then you have the hero right 
And there's always a revenge factor involved with the hero. His kid was killed. Uh, he was maimed. Something happened. And you always discover that, that the hero is looking to get even. And my question to a lot of people in school and in general is, how did you feel when the guy got even? Like Steven Seagal years ago, that movie. You yeah. Know, or anybody see Richie? They're looking for Richie because Richie killed his, his partner or something. And when he got Richie at the end in the movie theater, everyone went crazy because he got his revenge. Yeah. And I think that's part of it. I think we all want to get back. We all want to get even with those who have hurt us. And when we see it happen on TV, it almost just feeds that inner desire and say, yeah, he got him. And you start feeling really good about it. Yeah. Do kids fear anything? Uh, are our students today uh, somewhat immune to the systemic consequences that the schools offer, such as detention, suspensions, uh, no recess, that sort of thing? Yeah, they, they don't fear anything. They're really? not afraid. Of, they're not afraid of those consequences. Here's here's what needs to happen. All right, in terms of consequences, they don't fear those because their parents don't make them fear those. You get in detention. You know, when I was, well, you and I, you know, you, yeah. you did something in school and you got you got held in uh, after school. You, you know, your father. You heard about it from your father. He didn't ask you. You know, why were you late for uh, coming home? He, 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 no, he knew you were late because something went wrong. Something right. didn't go right. Right. Now, if you go back to my thought on gain and loss, let's go back to that for a minute. What am I going to gain? What am I going to lose? I had a, uh, and I'm not even going to tell you what this youngster did, but many years ago, I had a youngster do something terrible in a school. He came down to my office um, and the kid's a baseball player. Yeah. The kid's a baseball player. It's February. Comes down to my office and of course, because of the behavior, I had to suspend him. But what I want, what I did do and what I wanted to do and I was, and there was a battle that I had and I, I, I will tell you that I, I lost the battle was I went to the athletic director and said, I want him benched for the first three games of the baseball season. And she said to me, it's February. I says, what, is, what does that matter? That's what means the most to him. He right. needs to know he's going to lose something of large consequence, of large, of, of the meaning to him is so important. Yeah, the, the value, the value, the value to what, you know, he had. Now, I used to come back in on uh, Monday morning and there was just a football game on Saturday in the high school that I was working at. And I would get referrals on the football players on some of them. Most of the players were good kids, but some of them, they were not too good. Yeah. Referral would come in on Monday. The game, I would figure out when the game was. You know, it could be on a Friday night or it could have been on a Saturday. So what, what would I do? I'd deal with the referral on Thursday and I'd suspend the kid so he couldn't play football on Friday because he got right. suspended. Yeah. 
rather than say, okay, I'm going to deal with it now. And he's back in school on Wednesday. If I suspend him on Tuesday, I'd suspend him on, on, uh, thir- on Thursday afternoon for Friday. The coach went crazy. The coach went crazy. He says, well, what's the date on this referral? I says, it was Monday. And he says, what are you suspending him now for? I says, because I don't want him to play. That's why. Yeah. It's as simple as that. He didn't like that. No, no. No, of course not. He wouldn't have liked, he would have liked it even less if the kid was a frontline player, a first string player that he needed. He, he certainly wasn't going to have me suspending the quarterback. Right. You know, but if the quarterback, you see, that's the other thing was what we went through here. If in fact this stuff happens, you cannot, as an administrator, have fear. See, that's what happens. The, the parents, the board of ed, teachers, students, they try to instill fear in you so you don't do the things that you want to do that's really going to stop behavior. Yeah. Poor behavior from occurring. In your opinion, do these anti bullying programs work? I think it's kind of like having a um, an elliptical machine in your house. Yeah. And somebody says to you, does it work? <laughs> I mean, it works if you use it. Yeah. You know, we have an anti-bullying uh, program. We have anti-bullying campaigns. We have all kinds of anti-bullying. Anything works if it's used and used correctly. If okay. it's, if it's, in other words, if I have a, an anti-bullying program, but I'm always trying to bend the rules, you know, or and yeah. to get around it, or a parent comes in and starts yelling at me as an administrator or as a teacher, and I kind of bend the rules a little bit around this program because I'm intimidated, then they don't work. Yeah, if, they, okay. if the rules are put in place, in other words, the, you could say to a kid in September in September, anyone who has um, five referrals before December doesn't go to the Christmas party, right? You could tell them, say that to a kid. That's a great rule. But the problem that you got is you could have a kid get five referrals by the end of September. Now, what do you do? Yeah. I mean, what am I going to do with him now? He's going to be cutting up all over the place because he knows he has nothing to lose now. So what the teacher does then is they say, well, okay, we're going to give you a chance to earn it back. We're going to give you a chance now to earn it back. You can, if you do this and this, we'll take away one referral. We'll give you another chance, you know, and so on. Because they, they put a rule in place that they could never enforce it could never be enforced because for, for the kids that, that really act up, five referrals, I mean, it's nothing. They have five referrals in two weeks. Wow. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you can enforce the rules and that you use the programs wisely. It's got to be frustrating for you. I, 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 I'm getting that, that vibe from you. At times, that job of yours must be very frustrating. Well, you know, Ron, I've said stuff uh, for years. I've said stuff for years uh, uh, about this topic. And uh, one of the things that, that I've often, that I've said is the same thing I've said to you. It is a matter of gain and loss. And if the loss, the bully needs the consequence that's meaningful and needs to be enforced without fear. 
and the victim needs the counseling, the therapy, needs the resiliency, needs to develop the confidence and the courage to go forward. Yeah. And if a victim sees that the person that bullied them was truly held accountable, they won't be cycling in their head that video, that, that movie that they just saw where the, the, um, the hero got even, okay, and shot up a place. Okay? Yeah. And that's what's going to cycle through this kid's head because if he, if he feels as if what, that, that they didn't do anything to help me out. Jim, talk about the role of the rescuer and the collaborator in the bully issue for our audience. You have, you have two, two different um, roles there. Uh, number one, the rescuer is someone who wants to help the victim, but doesn't know how to perform what I call a good rescue. Because what a rescuer will do unwittingly is confront the bully and get into a fight with the bully right what the rescuer needs to know how to do is they have to know how to remove the victim so if a kid is being bullied is being victimized by another kid the the what the what the um rescuer has to do is go in take the victim and say hey come on Let's go down to the cafeteria or I'll walk you to class or, I'll, you know, we can, you know, um, we'll talk about what we're going to do after school or something like that. You don't want to confront the bully because when you start answering a fool like that, when you start confronting that fool, that bully, okay, what, what begins to happen is you could end up, okay, jumping right into the same pot with them. And you'll end up having a fight with him. And you don't want to have a fight with him. You want to help the kid that's being bullied. Right. That's the rescuer. The collaborator, I've always likened him to, to um, Dr. Frankenstein's Igor or <laughs> someone, someone that did the bully's bidding. He will collaborate with the bully and he will find people for the bully to bully just by saying, hey, look at him, how stupid he looks, or how funny is this kid? And he'll, and once he shares the information, he'll back off from back out of the situation. So he doesn't look bad and let the bully do the dirty work. But meanwhile, he's the one that fed the bully the victim. Jim, please discuss and tell our audience uh, what cyberbullying is and describe the following terms to us. And uh, I'm going to read the terms and and we can we can go over it if time permits. Right. Fla flaming, email threats and dissemination, exclusion, harassment, phishing, impersonation, denigration, mm -hmm. cyber stalking. If you want to just pick up on some of those, sure. Well, cyberbullying is nothing more than using because um, um, uh, we're in the information era right now, and and we use technology. And cyberbullying is nothing more than the use of technology to denigrate or to pick on another person. The problem with cyberbullying, and cyberbullying has gotten way bigger than we could ever have imagined because, you know, it's more like cyber hacking now. And, you know, we talked, my wife and I spoke the other day about, you know, you get a refrigerator that's computerized, your refrigerator could get turned off one day and you won't even know how it happened. 
yeah. uh, because they hack into computers. Right. Uh, with cyberbullying, there was an old expression, you have to keep your friends close and your enemies closer. With cyberbullying, lots of times you don't know who your enemy is. You don't know what's going on. You don't know, you know who sent you that thing that says, I wish you would die because they can disguise their name. Um, as an example, uh, I had a, um, a kid and they came into, they came in uh, with his mother and father came into my office um, on a, a Monday morning and the, they had an email from another student who was in the school, a very threatening email that was sent to this, to their son. And I got, I, I pulled the other kid down. I said to him, what happened here? You know, what's going on? He said, I didn't do that. It came right from your computer. What are you talking So I suspended the kid. Right. But something told me, something told me that there was something wrong with the whole thing. And what was wrong with it was this, they were doing homework or something, but the computer was open. The email screen was open. And the, the kid that this, who owned that computer and was his email address the kid that he was with hated another kid and he sent him a hate uh, a hate message through this kid's computer. And I ended up dealing with the kid who owned the computer, but it was actually his friend that did it. Wow. Wow. They, yeah. You got to really be careful when you got your computer screens open. Right. So flaming is, is, uh, is basically um, a, a, like a real bad argument online that involves profanity and vulgarity um, and they're usually done on discussion boards and news groups. You could find them in forums sometimes, you know, where people are arguing back and forth, okay. um, you know, with, um, with one another, you know, you have email threats. That's ex basically exactly what I just shared with you. Yeah. And it's very difficult to get away with that now because they can trace these emails and they know exactly who sent what now, but years ago, that was something that happened. Uh, to instill instill fear and intimidation into people. Uh, that's all there was to it. And, and, but now it, it's very hard to do. Exclusion is nothing more um, than sending provocative messages to the target that they're not included in certain social activities. In other words, I'm going to so-and-so's party, you're not. Right. Now, I'm going to explain uh, something to your, uh, your audience, Ron. We have this thing here in New Jersey where um, if I'm having a birthday party at my house, I cannot invite 10 people in my class and not invite everybody else. Wow. And so in other words, you have to send invitations to those 10 people outside of school because they're afraid that people will, will view uh, that as exclusion. In other words, I'm going to, to Ron Rappaport's party. You're not. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, well, part of the problem is I worked in a school. I was an administrator. I might have had a little end of the year party for five people that that were that I had a, a closer relationship with than some of the other teachers. Right. I can't invite a whole school. The boss can't invite an entire 
you know, maybe maybe 50 people or whatever it is to a party. And kids are getting the impression now that everybody's got to come. And and if I have to have a party, okay, I'll feel bad if if I leave people out. Yeah. You know, people get cut from football teams. People get let, um, you know, left out. It happens. It's part of life. Yeah. I did it. I did a TED talk. I didn't make the cut, you know, so I didn't get to go on stage, you know, in front of the big audience, but I did it, you know, and I auditioned and I did what I could. It's just the way life is. And they, and kids have to learn that that's part of life. Yeah. Now what happens though, is the kids, and I'm saying this, you know, they're probably like 12 or 13 years old. What'll happen is the if if I invite kids, say I'm a kid and I invite 10 kids to go to the party, it's when those kids have the invitation and they go to other kids and say, I got invited to Jim's party. Oh, well, I didn't. Now they're now the kids who were invited want to make the other kid feel bad. Yeah, That's yeah. not my fault. I invited my friends. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. see, so ex- exclusion happens. It happens. Yeah. You know, fishing is, you know, um, where you get, it, it's kind of like um, there, uh, what we would go through would be someone trying to get our bank account information. Okay. You know, you get something that says, oh, uh, your, your account's overdrawn and you got to go here or something and you, they end up getting your bank account information. Right. Uh, so that they can use it and, and withdraw money from your account. That's phishing. Or you're trying to get a kid um, online to disclose information about himself that he doesn't want to disclose. In other words, it's a it's a cyber way of making another kid vulnerable. This is why you get stuff all the time. Your passwords are stolen. Uh, you need to. Uh, uh, redo your password because somebody's got your password now you know and that's yeah. phishing they're always looking for information so that they can use it either to steal money or denigrate somebody and then you have harassment and that's just basically what we have and at colleges it's hazing you have yeah. sexual harassment you have harassment where I, i'm constantly haranguing you giving you a hard time picking on you you know, no physical harm, but I'm just making you feel uncomfortable. That's basically harassment. Impersonation is pretty easy. Where I, this is what happened with the kid with the computer. Yeah, kid with the computer. Yeah. He basically impersonated someone else. Okay. They, they got in trouble. He didn't. Yeah. But he ultimately did. And, you know, I was very, it's crazy. See, I'm, I'm one of these people that was always into killing a gnat with a hammer. Yeah. But I, but I, oh, but I always knew that I had the ability to um, retract what I did. I could rescind us. I'm suspending you for 10 days. And, you know, after I did a little dig, see, I never just suspended a kid. I do a little digging 
after I suspended them to find out just what really went on? Because there's always something else that you miss, but you're basing it on the behavior of the kid at the time. Right. I I would do some digging. I'd call the kid up and I'd say, you know, you can come back tomorrow. And they never saw anything like that before. They never did. And I thought that that was one of my strong suits. Well, you you did the investigation. Yeah, I did. I, I really did. But but my my initial my initial reaction was I'm suspending you for five days, ten days, whatever right. the case might be. But that was superficial. You didn't really dig anyway. And, and what is what is anyone learning from a ten day suspension? I can't go to school. That's what they learn. But do they learn to change their behavior? Right. That's what we're looking. That's why you could put somebody in jail for ten years, and if their behavior doesn't change, you're going to let them out. He's going to go back in again anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Denigration, you know, is it describes um, when bullies just use cruel humor. Okay, cruel humor. It's cruel humor, you know, where you're picking on a weakness in another person. If someone has big ears, big head, too tall, too short, um, pimples on your face, braces, whatever, you're using cruel humor to pick on somebody. Right. Cell phone dissemination. Uh, it's used in cyberbullying, and it can also be a criminal act if the images depict underage individuals. You're basically sending pictures of another person, okay, who could be in a very compromised situation. This happens in high schools where they take pictures. You know, they're at a party or something, and they take pictures of somebody who may not be completely closed gotcha Um, so they do that now just an aside for you if you and i which we never did i'm sure we never did at least i'm sure i never did ever had an opportunity to take a picture of someone with a like a girl with nothing on and I wrote an article about this. It's called Society's Morality Hasn't Kept Up With Technology. First of all, if I took it with my little Instamatic camera or a brownie camera that I had back then, I had to get the film developed. True. So there was yeah. always a waiting period. Right. Secondly, the Photoshop in my town drank in my father's bar, the guy that owned it. Right. What do you think he's going to do when he, he gets a picture that I turn in, I turn my film in them, he starts developing it, and there's, and there's a girl with no clothes on there. He's going to go to my father and say, what, where are these pictures coming from? What's your kid doing? So, and if a camera is used, there is a waiting period behind anything that you're going to do with those pictures. In other words, you take a picture with a cell phone out, click, send, you don't even give it a thought. Yeah. But with with a camera where you got to take film and they get developed and you're going to use it to or you're going to disseminate it almost to try and um, blackmail somebody. You got to give that some thought if, in fact, okay, you're using and like like the old Instamatic or a Polaroid camera, you got to it's going to take you a little bit of time to start thinking about what you're doing. Hey, Jim, can you discuss with us uh, the parents uh, 
how they act and what can be done to resolve issues with them. Can you kind of give us our audience uh, a little a little detail as, well, to, as um, to how you handle things with the, the parents? Issues, the issues with parents, um, you're, you're, it, it, it's, it, there was an old expression years ago um, that teachers spend 90% of their time dealing with 10% of the kids. Yeah. And, and that's basically what happens parentally, what administrators do and uh, teachers probably as well. They spend 90% of their time dealing with 10% of the parents who have the loudest mouth, the loudest voice, who want to complain the most. And if I was going to give advice to a young teacher who will, at, at 23 years old, a nice young teacher who comes out of college, nice girl, maybe she's teaching physics at a high school or something, or she's teaching in a middle school, and she's going to be intimidated by a loudmouth parent, whether it be male or female, the first thing I would tell her or him is that this person has matured physically, but not emotionally. And I want you to take the tack that you're going to have to deal with them in terms of facts because they have come into you emotionally. Right. And, and their emotions are not where they should be. So if you're going to come in and give a report to if this parent's going to come in and start giving you a hard time at a meeting or whatever the case may be, always make sure you have your ducks in a row. Always make sure that you have any behavioral referrals that were written. You have those documented. Always make sure that you have the grade book ready. Always make sure you can fight. I call it fighting with facts. Here are the facts. This is why this has happened. This is why he failed. This is why he was suspended. Everything has to be in a row for those parents. And it's usually 10%. It's 10%. If you've got a classroom with, with 30 kids in it, you're going to get three kids with three parents that are going to give you all kinds of trouble. Yeah. Those are, those are the ones we have to invest our time and we have to call on all our skills to deal with those people. Can you talk to us about grade inflation and how uh, that can lead to problems? Well, good grades are nice, but mastery is better. That's how I look at it. We give out grades to kids today. Uh, if a kid gets, um, a kid turns in no work, turns in no work. Yeah. He gets a, he has to get a 50. They can't give him a zero. He has to get a 50. So that, so that means for the next three marking periods, you average in a 50. You don't average in a zero. Well, why is that? That's because they won't, they will not allow you to, even if the kid fails with the 10, they will not allow you to give any kid a grade. And this is not just in New Jersey. It's all over a grade lower than a 50. That's the way it works. They're inflating. They're already inflating the grade. Right. The, the next thing is we don't do enough with kids to help them master content. If a kid, if a kid is in the first grade, everybody thinks he leaves the first grade on the first grade level. He leaves on about 0. 0.6, which means 
there was about, you know, 40% of the stuff he just didn't get. Right. He goes to the second grade. He gets into the second grade. Okay. The teacher starts teaching him second grade material. He hasn't mastered some of the content from the first grade. So the teacher looks at the kid and, you know, and it, it's almost, we're going to, um, we're going to teach you um, subtraction now and you haven't learned addition. Okay. So when you get to a part where you have to add, use a calculator or I'll come over and help you. So he never really learns how to add, but, he, but we're, we're trying to teach him how to subtract. He never learned how to divide, but uh, never learned how to multiply. We're going to try and teach him how to divide. And as we go through all of this, as this all starts to happen, we start to give kids grades for, for stuff that, you know, that, grades that are much higher. And the, they go through the fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. They get into around the seventh or eighth grade. The content gets a little bit tougher before you know it. You know, people were telling him, there's one word I would like eliminated, Ron, from a, 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 from a teacher's vocabulary, unless it's absolutely true. And, that, and, and they'd have to figure that out on their own. And that word is awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Heard that kid, word a lot. <laughs> he's, seven, he's seven years old. You're awesome. Well, where am I going after awesome? <laughs> there's no place to go. Awesome. You're at the top. I, I'm, I'm the best. Yeah. And oftentimes kids will believe they're just a little bit smarter than what they really are until somebody tells them. And that's usually when they're trying to get into college and they discover they can't get in because their board scores aren't good enough. Right now, today, kids feel good about themselves for no apparent reason. And we have to make them earn a little bit more rather than just handing it to them. Right, right. What what is uh, the potential for anti bullying laws to go nationwide? Going nationwide, yeah. I think we have um, some most of those. I don't know what each state has, but I think that the um, based upon what happens in each state, that's what like what happened here in New Jersey. The kid committed suicide. They had to have an anti bullying bill of rights. Anti bullying laws had to go into place. So this in Michigan, I don't know what they have in Michigan. I don't know what they have in Connecticut after Sandy Hook. I don't know what they have, but I do know that they're taking closer looks at the the the, um, the, the mental health of the victims. And I think more money needs to be put into that area, you know, in terms of mental health, mental wellness, and helping kids overcome depression and suicidal tendencies. What are the chances of them going nationwide? I think they're good. But the problem that we have is that it, it seems like there has to be a tragedy before something like that happens. Yeah. What, what is your takeaway message for people listening to this discussion concerning bullying in schools? You have a takeaway message? Hey, you know, bullying has been around since the flood. Right. People have gotten bullied since the flood. Uh, and some people, you know, who have been bullied, still carry the baggage of being bullied. Uh, and I think what we want to do is we want to realize and uh, we want to help kids overcome the fear, the intimidation. I think we want to spend more time with the victims. Uh, 
and I want to make sure that we hold bullies accountable and we help make victims a little bit more resilient because they carry that with them through their entire life. And sometimes people never realize their full potential and it had everything to do with the behavior of one other kid in class. Yeah. Yeah. What, what excites you going forward in your work? What's that? I'm sorry, Ron. What, what excites you going forward in your work? Uh, you know, at, at 67, I think the, um, the, the, the idea that uh, I'm still writing courses, I'm still teaching, yeah. which I like. Um, I'm still, they still consider me, you know, here in my neck of the woods, I guess a little bit of an expert because they call me whenever something happens. Um, all I know is CNN or Fox hasn't called me yet, but, but, you know, there's, there's always hope. Never know. Yeah. You never know. I'm on your show now. So you're on my know. show. I, I put in a good word for you. We don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know? um, but uh, I think just being able to continue to do what I do. I love my writing. I'm writing another short book right now called consistency, 12 things that we, we need to start doing and keep doing. Um, and I, and I like the list that I put together. It's something that I, some stuff that I've been doing for a long time. Um, and just, you know, watching changes um, take place that are positive and relishing those small things that happen. You know, it's like, you don't want to ever see, you know, these things that happened in Michigan happen again. Although right. for some reason in your head, you say it won't be the last time. Uh, and and uh, I'd like to just what excites me is maybe I can give people hope so that they can overcome some of the. Well, that's that's what this show's all about, giving people hope and, and just listening to you, how authentic you are and genuine. Jim, how can people contact you? They want to know about you, get books, that kind of thing. What's the best like way they can get on my website? Bullyproofclassroom.com. Bully, uh, bullyproof bullyproofclassroom.com okay uh you go there i got a store there and everything there is relatively i mean it's cheap i mean but the thing is you're looking it's digital some of it's hardcover anti-bullying 101 the book that's there that's one of my um one of the things I wrote or I, I really thought that and then there's probably 101 more things that people can do. Um, and um, that's important to me. I want people to read that because there's things in there that you're not going to find in a lot of other bullying books. Right. You're not going to find it. And I'm going to let. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. And of course the podcast, anti-bullying 101 podcast on Spotify and you know, in, uh, in other places, Anchor and so on. Okay, great. Uh, I'm going to list all that information in the podcast notes. Uh, thanks, Jim, for taking time to be on the podcast. And I wish you all the best uh, going forward in your important mission to make this a better world. Comments and suggestions to improve the podcast, you can email us at itsarapwithrap at gmail.com. Our website is itsarapwithrap.com. Drop your email address there. You can get on the mailing list. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. It's a wrap with rap. Instagram, it's a wrap with rap podcast. And all the episodes are on YouTube. It's a wrap with rap, the podcast uncut. Thanks for listening. Please stay safe for now. And for now, it's a wrap. <laughs>